Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoma. I'm Ben Felder, and joining me in studio is the Political State crew, Dale from the Capitol, Justin from the Federal Beat. And gentlemen, it feels like summer is fully here. That means the election season is underway, the primaries. Uh, we're going to discuss that here in a moment, specifically the Democratic primary for the 5th Congressional District. We talked a little bit about that race, uh, wanting to know if a viable Democratic candidate will come out able to challenge Representative Russell in what has been a conservative district, but from the outside, or at least on paper, it seems like it may be a little bit more competitive than in years past. But first, let's talk about uh, Governor Fallendale. Uh, the legislature has gone home. They're out of there, but her work still continues, or at least there's some things for her to continue to do, and that is sign some bills. And there are a few bills that are you know, kind of unknown on where she's going to go in terms of whether or not she's going to use her veto or, or pass them through. Right, really, they're all unknown. Uh, I'd say most of them are going to be signed, but uh, of the dozens still left on her desk. Uh, but there are specifically three uh, that we're watching closely uh, because um, they're really interesting to a lot of people. One is about Ten Commandments on public, uh, on, on state property, on government property. Um, another one is the, the adoption bill, Senate Bill 1140, ha has its own hashtag. It was so, uh, so uh, what is that lobbied hashtag? against hashtag 1140. Oh, okay. Or SB 1140. Okay. Uh, it basically would allow um, faith-based uh, um, adoption agencies to continue practicing in Oklahoma and receiving state funds while simultaneously limiting their client base to um, basically conform to their religious beliefs. Such as uh, same-sex couples that want to adopt, yes. yeah. And the third is the uh, constitutional carry bill that would allow you, me, anyone uh, who doesn't have a felony record and is at least 21, unless they're a military veteran, carry around a firearm on their person, loaded, unloaded, concealed, unconcealed. Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's talk about the gun. The other two. Let's talk about the gun one first, because the other two are kind of interesting in the sense that, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's some red meat for the conservative base. Uh, the adoption bill is too. Now, there's the she's feeling some pressure because the opposition. Um, you know, there's been some some in the religious community, uh, some LGBTQ act, activi activist groups that have really uh, mobilized, um, and some other progressives. So she's feeling that pressure from maybe outside of her political orbit on that, and right. it's kind of given her some pause. But the gun one is interesting because, um, you know, there obviously are conservatives that support it. The legislature pushed it through. Uh, but there are some conservative-esque groups that are not in favor of it. We've seen some business uh, groups come out, law enforcement come out, and say that this is something they don't want to governor uh, to sign. So she's kind of in a tough spot right now. She is, yeah. She has to balance, is this uh, good for public safety or is this good for uh, basic freedoms? Um, and that was a big point, a big selling point that the author of the bill said, um, you're basically making me pay to exercise my right uh, of the Second Amendment, pay the state um, and jump through a lot of ho hoops to, to be able to do this. Uh, on the other hand, um, and Justin, you made a great point earlier about the opposition that she's faced, uh, or the, the, the uh, questions about this bill that law enforcement have raised, and the concerns uh, about whether it would be good public policy. 
Yeah. And we've seen, uh, I believe that the state chamber has come out against this, um, or I, I know some business associations have. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes some of these conservative groups end up being some of the best um, gun control advocates in the state sometimes because you know they're thinking about the outside projection of the state a lot of times. These uh, conventions and sporting events that come uh, and are looking for places to come and a lot of times you know professional sports leagues, conventions, other big events, uh, they're not real too uh, quick to want to go somewhere where they feel like everyone's going to be carrying a gun and, and where they kind of jeopardize security. Right and then that's what you get when you invite people uh, from outside of the state inside the state uh, is that um at least part ways they're, they're able to guide your public policy. If you want their money, um, you have to invite them and they have to feel welcome, right? And so uh, that's, I think, with the, the state chamber, anytime that they come out against a bill like this, um, uh, either the state chamber or really any, any mm -hmm. business group, uh, is, is because they want to bring that money in from outside the state. Yeah. And law enforcement, of course, worried about increased, you know, incidents where they have to face off with people with guns or just that unknown of who's carrying and who isn't. Uh, certainly a concern for them. So, yeah, I mean, Governor Fallon has some easy outs if she wants to oppose this bill. I don't know what's going on inside of her head. I'm not going to guess. But if she wants to oppose this bill, it's very easy to say that I back these mm -hmm. business groups or I back law enforcement. I mean, a pretty easy political out if she wants to oppose the bill. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It, Politically, it's very easy for her to do. Like I said, she may support the bill. I'm not really sure. But it, politically, it's it's almost easier just to be opposed to it here when you have these groups come out in opposition. And actually, you have to watch on the adoption bill. Because there are some Republican states that passed bills that were perceived as being anti-gay. And some, uh, I mean, college colleges or pro mm -hmm. teams said they wouldn't travel there. They, you know, some convention, people who are going to host conventions in the state pulled out, and so it, it can have an effect. You have to watch it. I don't know if it's that would happen in a case like this, but that's another incident where the ramifications are larger than you probably go, you expect. You know, it's not just on the bill. It can have those larger yeah. implications, and that's something that even in conservative states, some Republican governors have been weary of. Yeah. It's also it's also a good example of what's different about actually being a governor and running for governor because <laughs> yes. we've seen uh, I uh, Chris Castile had a has had a story not too long ago about where the candidates uh, at least on the Republican side stand on this. Uh, most uh, maybe all, but most of them had said that they no question. They they would sign this bill into law. They felt like this was good. You know, of course, that's what people want to hear at the town halls and the rallies that you're holding across the state. But I don't buy for a second that the majority of these candidates would just instantly sign this bill right. if it was them in the office. They would have to be weighing some of these ramifications just like she is. So it's a def it's definitely a, a different reality. Um, you know, and I don't know, who knows what her thinking is. I almost said to her credit, but it's kind of hard to know, you know, hard, hard to say without knowing what her thinking is. But, you know, she's not facing re-election. So, you know, she's weighing the decision, hopefully, I guess, on what she thinks is best for the state. But, um, you know, I'm sure she wants to please voters, but at the same time, her name's not going to be on a ballot later well, this year. This is why she's taken at least a week now to to think about her, how she's going to, to go, mm -hmm. whether she's going to sign it or whether she vetoes it. Um, and there there is a lot to consider. The OSBI came out and said, um, listen, if you if you sign this, if this bill becomes law, there are going to be a lot of people who uh, are able to carry guns without additional background checks that the state requires for having a uh, uh, self-defense act uh, or a uh, the concealed carry uh, permit, and you know that that might be a deciding factor. You know, because you're talking about mental health, you're talking about uh, state and local uh, criminal background checks. Mm -hmm. You're also talking about a, a dozens of state employees that OSBI says it's going to have to lay off. 
mm. within the year uh, if they are no longer processing uh, gun permits. Yeah, yeah, big business right there in, in that area. And, and, you know, also for law enforcement, I mean, you know, catching someone without a permit to carry a gun is one of the big, uh, I mean, you, you read about that a lot or hear about that a lot when, you know, they're investigating some case. That's something they, you know, is often a, uh, an, an entrance into making some kind of case. You see that quite a bit. Timothy McVeigh is a great example. One of the examples that was brought up, he, uh, he was brought in because he had a gun and he shouldn't have. Yeah, pulled over because of not having a license plate, but uh, was was arrested because of of having a gun without without a permit. Wouldn't it be interesting? And who knows where she's going to go on this? But we've ta and we've talked about this before. I mean, this is a year where she signs, you know, approves the the biggest tax increase in state history. Um, is she going to go out signing a? I don't know if you can call this. A, it's not a gun control bill. I mean, obviously not right. that. But it's going to take the gun control side theoretically on an issue like this. Um, and then who knows what about the about the adoption bill? Uh, she may she may go out as as one of the more progressive. You I know. say that jokingly, <laughs> but but it'd be interesting to see that at the end of her legacy, at the end of her tenure, some of the things that she's done. Um, it's kind of surprising given where we probably would have guessed a few years ago. Okay, the governor Fowler has made a lot of decisions on either side of of so many issues. She's vetoed gun legislation before. Yeah, she has, yeah. Uh, that was proposed by you know the the very same kinds of authors who proposed this. Um, and she's signed a lot of gun legislation. She's proud of her record on gun, uh, gun law. Um, the Second Amendment Association in Oklahoma really doesn't like her that much because she has vetoed some gun uh, deregulation bills. But really, this is one of the biggest deregulation bills that we've seen come out of the legislature, if not the biggest, because it's completely doing away with, uh, with uh, the permitting process for being able to carry a gun in public. Yeah, and any we don't really have any indication really where she's leaning on this at all, or no indication at all, or when she'll sign. What's the deadline for her to get this done? Deadline is at the end of next week. Okay. Um, if she doesn't sign bills by, I believe it's midnight on the 18th, then they are automatically vetoed. Um, I was told by someone in the governor's office that she probably won't pocket veto. Okay. No, nothing will get to that stage. She'll probably just make a decision on uh, any number of bills, um, and and that makes sense. You know why. You know why? Uh, why avoid making a decision on something when you just make the decision? Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, it would be interesting to, to follow that. Could could happen any minute. Could happen next week. Uh, yep. Obviously, uh, you'll have the have the coverage on that. Um, Justin, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit to the fifth congressional race. Um, the only race right now is on the Democratic side. Russell is waiting to see who's going to take him on in November. Um, we have five candidates. Is that right? Uh, six, six Democrats. Six Democrats running for uh, running for the primary. I should point out, uh, Russell does have two primary challengers. One of which told me he didn't mean to get in the race. He thought um, <laughs> he thought Russell was running or was not running rather, so he was going to jump in. Um, one other, uh, he does have one other challenger, though. I don't expect a difficult primary. For Hence my Congressman Russell set up that Russell is waiting for. Sure. <laughs> but uh, that's a knows? fair statement. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But for the Democrats, I think we talked about. You know, the 5th Congressional District, it's, it's largely made up of Oklahoma City. Um, if any Congressional District is going to go blue at some point, it seems likely that it's going to be this one. Right. Um, when you look at the, the the voting outcomes of recent years, it's not like this is a close to tipping district. I mean, the Republicans have won, uh, you know, fairly safely in, in recent elections. But the demographics maybe paint a different story to say that if, if, you, if you saw some, you know, an increased voter turnout amongst Democrats, that, that, that at least the votes are there to make this competitive and interesting. Sure. You were at a forum this week of uh, five of the six right. Democratic candidates. Um, are these Dems running as, you know, 
conservative Democrats or are they running more to the progressive side? I mean, what, what kind of what kind of angle or lanes did you see out of this forum and, and just the, the election in general? Well, there are no conservative Democrats running, no blue dog Democrats here. I mean, Kendra Horn, who is in Congress as a spokesperson for a blue dog Democrat, by the way, is running as probably the most moderate of the candidates. Um, and she's, you know, certainly leading the fundraising race. She's, she's well-prepared, kind of the establishment candidate mm-hmm. among the Dems. Um, so you have Kendra Horn running as sort of the moderate, but the others are running uh, to the left. I mean, they're, they're pretty uh, progressive candidates. And Tom Guild has run several times now, has always been kind of a Bernie Sanders Democrat, uh, which is kind of an ironic term since Sanders isn't technically a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. But people know what I mean by that. I mean, certainly a progressive uh, candidate there. And so... Uh, he's running on, you know, single-payer health care. Uh, he's running on opposition or, you know, in favor of gun control, opposition to firearms. And, and so, um, and he has some competition there on the left. I mean, Ed Porter is running that way. Uh, Tyson Todd Meade is running that way as well. So um, he has a lot of uh, competition on the left, I think. And then you have Kendra Horn with more of a moderate stance. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays in the primary. Um, let's keep in mind that June 26, I believe the medical marijuana will be on the mm-hmm. ballot, if I'm not mistaken. If I yep. have my dates right? That's yes. Right, yeah. Okay. I th- <laughs> wanted to double check that. I thought so. So that would be interesting if that brings out more young pro marijuana um, Democrats. And then they tend to go for someone like Tom Guild. But of course, I don't expect with six candidates that we'll get one candidate with 50 plus one. I think you almost certainly have a runoff here um, between the top two candidates. So we'll see. But the the forum was the first forum and probably the only forum among Democrats before the June 26 primary. So I had a, a story in today's paper and I'll have another story in Sunday's paper looking at what those candidates had to say and how they kind of differentiate uh, between themselves. So it sounds like, I mean, this is, this is really just going to be a name recognition race, I mean, in a lot of ways. I mean, like you said, just one forum. Um, you know, I don't know how heavy these candidates are. Um, I mean, they're definitely not, you know, it's, obviously it's different when you're running a, running a congressional race compared to a gubernatorial campaign. But, I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, they're not having a slate of forums every week. There's not, I, I mean, what kind of race is this? I mean, what do you feel like is, is kind of the strategy to try to win this, this Democratic primary in the CD5? I think in the primary, it is, it's sort of a grassroots race. It's a kind of a door-to-door race. Um, Tom Guild would have name recognition just from running several other times. Kendra Horn, with, her, uh, with quite a bit of fundraising, will be able to spend money to get her name recognition out there. So I think those two probably have the best shot uh, looking at it right now. But you have some others in there who are kind of vets factors. I mean, uh, Tyson Mead, a musician, uh, is a very different congressional candidate, uh, pretty well known in Norman and the, uh, the music community around here, but I don't know how that transcends the vote. That's just something that as a congressional uh, or as you know, a political writer, you don't come across very often. So right. there's some interesting X factors in there, and it'll be difficult to tell. But I think Tom Guild probably has the most name recognition for, to start, and then Kendra Horn with the most money and organization uh, would also be a pretty strong candidate, I think, too. So that's kind of what we're looking at as well. And but, Someone like Elizabeth Britt, um, former Marine, transgender Marine, has a lot of uh, has some interesting uh, you know constituents as well, or you know an interesting uh, voting block, and so and Ed Porter has kind of a, a populist uh, blue collar approach to to his uh, candidacy, just on kind of a shoestring budget, which I think really sets him back in this district and most districts. But it'll be interesting, and we'll we'll see what comes up, but. Yeah, we're looking at six or seven weeks until the primary, and this will 
most likely be the only forum from talking with candidates. They don't expect another one. So yeah. read uh, as much as you can in the coverage of yeah. this one uh, because I think that's going to give us our, our best sense. Of course, I'll have more coverage between now and the primary, but this forum was probably our best look at how the Democrats compare with one another. Yeah. What, you know, I, it, I think you're right to kind of bring up the, idea, the fact that uh, medical marijuana will be on the ballot. And, I, and I'm curious how that's going to impact the, you know, whose base comes out. Because, you know, maybe if you are, you know, Kendra Horn with a more moderate base, um, you know, maybe mer- medical marijuana isn't what inspires you to come out. If you're a Democrat living in CD5. I mean, you've got the Democratic primary, you know, for Congress. You know, who knows how exciting that is to Democrats. And then you've got the medical marijuana. I mean, there's really not a lot, uh, not like it is for Republicans where they've got a, a, a governor's uh, primary going on that's probably going to be, you know, the headlining, you know, part of the ballot for them, for Democrats. I mean, this is going to take some motivation maybe for Democrats to, to come out, I, I, would, I would think. Yeah, I, I think primaries are always interesting because you're, you're taking a pretty small segment of the population, even of the voting public, and uh, they're going to decide this race. So who can get their people out there is going to be huge. And then who can do it again in November is really big because that's what we talk about when we talk about the demographics of this district. If you look at this district on paper, it could be a blue district or at least a purple toss-up district. I mean, um, we talk about you know African-American votes, Hispanic votes in parts of Oklahoma City. And this is a district that if, if it voted along those lines mm-hmm. would be very, very close, if not a blue district, actually, but instead, you—I uh, mean—those groups just do not vote in the same uh, totals that, mm-hmm. say, evangelical voters do, who are really in favor of Russell. I mean, Russell is an evangelical himself, a social conservative. They vote in very high numbers, and so that has kept this district red. But everybody I talk to—I mean, even Republican strategists—believe this district is trending blue. Yeah. It's just how fast. I mean, you know, if, if it can do it in uh, however many months we have here five or six months before November, people are skeptical. Certainly on the right, they're skeptical. And this, I think, is still a red district, but in a blue wave election, as we've talked about on the show several times now, in a very big blue wave um, election, this it could be close. Yeah. How often did uh, Trump's name come up at the forum? Some, not all the time. Um, not as much as I would probably have guessed. Um, I mean, on the topic of education, Betsy DeVos comes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So it probably gets a little closer. Like, I mean, you know, on the issue of health care, uh, Tom Price comes up a lot. So it's, it's a little more narrow. I, I, obviously, there are no pro-Trump uh, candidates among the six, but I, I, I don't think it comes up as often as you might suspect. I don't – we've talked about this before. I mean, I, I don't predict that this is – that the Democratic candidate um, – well, maybe there will be some, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that the Democratic candidate in CD5 is not going to be running on an anti-Trump agenda in the way that you may see other, um, you know, Dems across the nation in, in November. Even though we talked about there may not be as many moderate Democrats in this bunch, um, I don't. I, that's just. I, I think that would. That seems like that might be a hard strategy right now. I, I, I think you're going. It's going to be. Well, it's going to be interesting. We still have a lot of time. I mean, between now and November, a lot of things can change. I, mean, I remember several months ago we were talking about issues like healthcare as being more prominent even than they, than it is today and stuff like that. Uh, you know, 
Trump has the chance to maybe see some of his polls go up, maybe Republican voters start to get really defensive about the guy that they voted for and they want to defend him. I don't know, it's just going to be interesting and I don't think, um, I mean, and this is, I don't, this is not a, uh, an aggressive statement to say, but unlike some maybe more progressive districts where a Democratic candidate is running on, a, on an anti-Trump uh, platform, I'm just guessing that might not be the case here. That's yeah. just a guess. I don't know. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be as overt. It wouldn't be as constant. Yeah, it, it'll come up. But it, I mean, any Democrat would be smart to run on issues right now. Mm-hmm. And of course, some anti-Trump criticism will come up in that. And when Trump has his more bombastic moments, um, or you know, I mean, if he has various scandals that come up and Russell is asked to defend them, then Democrats are going to pick on him that way. But I, I don't think it's going to be constant anti-Trump. It's. They'll, they'll pick their battles if uh, if they're smart about it, frankly. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be going to be interesting to watch, definitely. So you said you have another story on in Sunday's paper about this uh, about this race. About this race, about uh, the forum, and just the way well, there's some different personalities on the Democratic side. Really, much of what we've just discussed here. But hopefully, if you watch, you can also pick up Sunday's paper. But it's it's a lot of what we just discussed, frankly. I mean, where are they running? How are they running? And you know, how liberal are they going in their in their candidacies? And, so much of what we just discussed here, actually. Yeah, a little more than a month before the primary, primary election, not just for the Democratic primary in CD5, but you've got, as you uh, reminded us, there is a Republican primary for the uh, on the other Republican side for CD5, and obviously uh, the gubernatorial primaries and a slate of other issues as well that we'll be talking about in future episodes of Political State. Well, guys, thanks so much for your time today. That's going to do it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week for another edition of Political State from the Oklahoman. Thanks for joining us.